Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Parables. Jesus oftentimes used these short stories to teach people. Sometimes the parable opened people's eyes to the profound truth of God. Other times the parable was symbolic and challenged people to go deeper in their faith. But with every parable, Jesus wanted people to live out the reality of what they learned. This summer we'll be studying some of the parables that Jesus used so we can discover and live out their truths in our lives. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website, www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. I'm excited today as we dig into this next parable uh, that Jesus gave us to help us become his followers. So let me just start off uh, with a story. Uh, Ruth Anna Metzger is a professional singer, and she tells this story uh, about a wedding that she was asked to perform at. Um, so she says, several years ago, I was, inv- I was uh, hired to sing at a wedding for a very wealthy man. And, and according to the invitation, the reception for the wedding was going to be on the top two floors uh, of the, the tallest building in the northwest of the United States in Seattle at the Columbia Tower and a huge skyscraper. And, and she and her husband, Roy, were very excited about attending uh, the wedding banquet after the wedding service. So she said, you know, at the reception, um, there were waiters in tuxedos and they were walking around and they were offering them luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. And then the the bride and groom came in and and they received people. And then as they were preparing to go to the banquet, they started to ascend this glass staircase. And once they were at the top, everybody that was at the reception was invited to come up that same staircase and go to the banquet. And so uh, Ruth Anna and Roy got in line, and when they got to the top, um, they were met by the maitre d', and the maitre d' had this huge bound book with a list of all the guests' name in it. And he said, may I please have your name? And she said, I'm Ruth Anna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. And he searched the M's. He goes, I'm not finding it. Would you please spell your name? So Ruth Anna spelled her name slowly. And after searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, your name isn't here. Uh, Ruth Anna said, there must be some mistake. I'm the singer. I sang for this wedding. And the maitre d' answered, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in this book... You cannot attend the wedding banquet. And then the maitre d' motioned to a waiter, and he said, please show these people to the service elevator. And the Metzgers followed the waiter, past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp and whole smoked salmon, past magnificently carved ice sculptures, past where the banquet area they could look into and, and see the orchestra that was performing, and they were all wearing dazzle, dazzling white tuxedos, and, and they walked through the serving area to the service elevator. And the waiter pushed the button, the doors opened, and he reached in and pushed G for garage, and they got in. And they descended all the way to the parking garage. And they found their car. And for several moments, they drove in silence. And finally, Roy said, honey, uh, what happened? She said, 
when the invitation arrived, I was so busy, and I thought because I was singing at the wedding, I didn't have to RSVP, so I never did. Their name was not in the guest book. We're going to talk about a wedding today. Not a wedding that you're used to. Um, Jesus loved weddings. The first miracle Jesus performed was at the wedding in the town of Cana. His mom asked him to change water into wine. He's the kind of guy you want at your wedding, right? All right. But, but the parable that we're going to look at today is a parable uh, about a wedding. It's a first century wedding in Israel. So um, as you listen, um, you're going to have to turn off your 21st century wedding normal expectations, Okay. So let me read this. It's from Matthew chapter 25. It's the first 13 verses. It's going to be on the screen, but I encourage you, if you've got a Bible or you've got the Bible app, go ahead and open it because I'm going to refer to some of those scriptures later on. So here we go. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. And five of them were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take extra olive oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and they prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus concludes by saying, so you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So big picture, in the the book of Matthew, we read this parable, but there's a whole series of parables where Jesus tells his followers about what to do in the end times of the world. Uh, In Christianity, this is a major area of study called eschatology, and eschatology covers what the Bible says about the end times, what it says about death, what it says about judgment, what it says about eternity. Now, we're not going to cover every detail in the study of eschatology, but we're going to look at the most important belief of eschatology, which is one of our essentials as a church, one of our essentials in our statement of faith. And it's this belief that's often referred to as the second coming of Christ. So as a church, this is what we believe. We believe in the personal and visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth and the establishment of his kingdom. Now within that belief, we believe that we all will face a final judgment where we will be judged by whether we believed in Jesus or not. And if we believed in Jesus, then we will be judged on how faithful we were as followers of Jesus. Now, Jesus uses this parable, and as I said, a whole bunch of other parables to teach us about the end times. He's teaching us so we'll know what to do. Now, Let's dig into this parable, and to do that, I do need to give you some background about what a Jewish wedding looked like at the time of Christ. 
Again, as I said, very different than what you and I are used to. So in a first century uh, dating relationship, it probably wasn't really a dating relationship. It was probably an arranged marriage. And so there was a betrothal, an engagement. And, and after a, a young man and a young woman were betrothed, they wouldn't see each other for the next 12 months. All right. During that 12 months, uh, the bridegroom-to-be was to prepare a place for them to live, whether it was to build a house or build onto their, his parents' house, whatever it was, he was supposed, supposed to prepare a place for them to live. And then at the end of that 12 months, sometime at the end of that 12 months, he would show up to bring his bride to their new home, where they would exchange their wedding vows and sign a wedding contract. Now, here's the deal, and this is going to blow your mind. She didn't know when he was going to come, all right? Uh, she didn't, it was intentional like that. I don't, I don't know all the details of why, but it was intentional. So, so um, she didn't know when, so obviously she had to wait with some anticipation and preparation. Um, and so did those who would uh, be uh, supporting her in that time. And those are the bridesmaids that we read about. Now, bridesmaids is really not a, a very accurate word. In the original Greek, it, it's virgins. And what that is to basically say is that these were young women of marriageable of age who weren't married. Um, because remember, this is a first century wedding. They didn't have, they didn't have five and, and ten bridesmaids and groomsmen, okay? It wasn't that kind of wedding. In fact, weddings were very small affairs. They were very intimate. It probably would have been the immediate families. Uh, those, those ten bridesmaids wouldn't have actually gone into the wedding. They wouldn't have been a part of the wedding. The, the marriage would have happened, and then there would have been a huge celebration, a, a wedding banquet that all the friends and family would be invited to. It would probably be in the evening, and it could last for days. And that would have been the huge event. The actual wedding ceremony was a, a very small affair. And so that's what's going on here, all right? Uh, that's why it, it, it doesn't resonate with our 21st century experience of weddings. Um, so in this parable, it's nighttime. And the ten bridesmaids are looking forward to escorting the bridegroom to meet the bride. And then uh, that's why they have their oil lamps, because it's nighttime, and they go out to meet him. But as I said earlier, nobody knew exactly when the bridegroom was going to get there. And so they had to wait. And they had to wait. And they had to wait some more. And, and that's the first point that I want us to see from this parable. You and I... As followers of Jesus need to wait and watch. What are we waiting and watching for? We're waiting and watching for the return, the second coming of Jesus. Now, you, you know, in our culture, if you show up late for the wedding and you're the, the bridegroom, um, you're really starting things off bad, okay? But in first century, that's not the way it was, Okay. So Jesus is giving us this big idea. He's using this, this illustration of first century weddings that everybody would understand and it would resonate with them to teach them a point and to teach us a point about his second coming. All right. 
Uh, theologians write this. You, you know, the second coming of Jesus is the hope for believers that God is in control of all things and that God is faithful to his promises and his prophecies in his word. Now, remember the first coming of Jesus. He came as an infant. He came as a baby to earth. He was born in Bethlehem. He was put in a, in a manger as his first bed. Uh, and, and Jesus fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Messiah during his birth during his life, during his ministry and his death and his resurrection. But because he hasn't returned for his second coming, he hasn't fulfilled all of the remaining prophecies. The second coming will be when he fulfills those. The second coming will be unlike the first coming. When he came, not only did he come as an infant, but he lived as a suffering servant in the first coming. When Jesus returns again, he will be a conquering king. In the first coming, he came in the most humble of circumstances. In the second coming, he'll arrive as a conquering king with the armies of heaven around his side. So that's what Jesus is telling us. We need to be, we need to be waiting and watching for the second coming. To make this even a little more clear uh, about this waiting and watching, he tells us that um, we won't know the day or the time when he when he will appear. In fact, in an earlier parable in, in chapter 24, he says this, about that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son of God himself. Only the Father knows. Now, because we have this all in writing, we have the beauty of having 2020 hindsight. And so we know that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he did his ministry, that he died for, to pay for our sins, that he didn't stay dead, that he defeated the power of sin and death. He was resurrected. He spent some time with his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. We know all of that, and we know his promise that he will come again. So we need to wait and watch. That's what he tells us throughout Scripture. Now, uh, a lot of us don't like to wait and watch. Uh, let's just be honest. Um, you know, uh, but you know what? We all know how to do some waiting and watching. We know how to do the kind of waiting and watching that Jesus is talking about. It's the kind of waiting and watching uh, where we anticipate that something's going to happen. And so we have a heightened awareness that something's going to happen. We're, we're um aware that there is something intentional and important and very, uh, very important that we need to wait for and watch for. You've experienced that in your own life. If you've ever taken a test that uh, your diploma depended on or that your job depended on and you had to pass that test to graduate or to get that job, after you took it, you waited with heightened anticipation. Whether it was going to come, the results were going to come in the mail or through an email, you waited anxious with heightened awareness of when it was going to come. So you, you understand that. If you've ever had a loved one go to a hospital for surgery and you've had to sit in the waiting room and wait, you know what it's like to wait with heightened anticipation because honestly, every time the door to the waiting room opens and, and there's someone who looks like a medical person that comes in, you, you're like, am I going to get the news? Uh, so, so you know what it's like to wait like that. Now, uh, 
Now, we're not going to be always on the constant uh, sense of uh, on the edge of our seat as we wait and watch, but it, it's knowing that he will return. We're going to get to rest and relax. Remember the, the five, uh, the five bra- bridesgroom, they were allowed to, to go to sleep. They got drowsy and fell asleep. But, but here's the thing about them. Not only were they waiting and watching, they were prepared. Some of them were. They were faithful. Some of them were. So that's the next thing that you and I need to do. We need to be faithful and prepared. So remember the story. When the bridegroom came and he was announced, all the bridesmaids wake up. But this is where the tension in the story hits because five of the bridesmaids have been foolish. They are unfaithful. They're unprepared. They didn't bring extra oil. Their lamps have gone out because the bridegroom didn't come when they expected. But five were faithful and prepared. They brought extra oil. They were able to refill their oil lamps and get their lamps lighted. So when the bridegroom arose, arrived, they could escort him to the banquet. So here's the big picture. This is what Jesus is pointing us to see And it's what we need to understand. He's saying that um, if you've decided to believe in and to follow Jesus, you need to be faithful and prepared. You need to understand that Jesus is our bridegroom and that as followers of Jesus, we make up the body of Christ, also called the bride of Christ. And as his followers, we need to be prepared for him. So as Christ followers, uh, we need to understand that We have to be prepared. We have to be faithful. Jesus takes this illustration even further. When the five bridesmaids who went out to buy more oil returned to the wedding banquet that's already going on, this is what we read. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. One writer explains this in the following manner. He says, the five bridesmaids who have the extra oil represent those who are truly born again, those who are truly followers of Jesus, who are looking forward with eagerness to Christ's return. They have saving faith, and they have determined that whatever occurs, be it a lengthy time or adverse circumstances, when Jesus returns, they will be looking for him with eagerness. The five bridesmaids without the oil represent what this writer calls false believers, uh, people who enjoy the benefits of the Christian community without really true love for Christ. They're more concerned about the party than about belonging and longing to see the bridegroom. Their hope is in their association with the true believers, remember they said, give us some of your oil. Uh, They're hoping that association with those true believers will bring them into the kingdom at the end. And of course, that's never the case. One, One person's faith in Jesus cannot save somebody else. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus challenges the faith of those people who say they're his followers. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only to the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So, so this is what Jesus is saying. So listen, he goes, following me is not about giving me lip service. It's not about talking a good followership of Jesus. It's about living it out. It's about doing the will of my heavenly Father. It's about being a fully devoted follower. It's not about going along with the crowd. It's not about, you know, giving lip service instead of life service. It's about saying, I'm 100% in. I'm fully devoted to you, Jesus. Jesus is making it clear that that we are saved only by faith in Jesus and that that faith is revealed in the lives of people who live their lives doing God's will. And conversely, he's telling us that a lack of faith is revealed when we're not sold out for Jesus, when we're not doing the will of God. When you follow the crowd and you don't believe in Jesus, when you call Jesus' name but you don't commit completely to Jesus, you're demonstrating that you're in the same gathering as the five foolish bridesmaids. So let's go back to those bridesmaids. Jesus closes that parable with this statement. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So this wedding parable drives us to some questions that we have to ask ourselves. For people who say they've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they need to examine themselves and ask themselves honestly and searchingly, am I watching and waiting and am I being faithful and prepared for Jesus' return? Or am I just looking for the party? You know, Jesus in the book of Revelation, uh, he makes it clear. He says, listen, I don't want followers who are lukewarm. I don't want people say, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you today, but tomorrow I got something else to do. He doesn't want people who say, you know, I, uh, I'm a 50-50 follower, or I, I follow you on Sundays, but not the rest of the week. You know, he says, if you're lukewarm, I'm just going to spit you out. For people who have heard about God and Jesus and have even gone to church, we have to search our soul and ask ourselves, have we truly accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? To receive God's promise of eternal life, we need to accept that we are sinners and that we need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. No amount of good deeds will get anybody to heaven. And then we have to commit ourselves to following him for the rest of our lives. 100%, not 50%, not 75%. The Bible is clear that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we're given the gift of eternal life. Remember Ruth Ann Metzger's wedding story I told you about? She'd been given a, a huge responsibility at the wedding. She had been invited to this uh, 
lavish wedding banquet after she had sung at the wedding, and, and it was hers to have and to enjoy. But Ruthanna didn't do the one important thing that she had to do. She had to receive what was offered to her. And the reception of what was offered to do her would be demonstrated in RSVPing for the wedding banquet. She didn't think she had to. She thought she was already in because she was singing, because she was serving. Uh, she thought that she had some special in. But everybody had to RSVP to attend the banquet. Everybody has to accept to receive what's been given. The Mater Day looked at her and said, your name and your husband's name's not in the book. And so we unceremoniously had them escorted to the service elevator and out of the banquet. You know, there's some interesting scriptures in the book of Revelation that, that talk about this idea that, that our names have to be written in the Lamb's book of life, in, in Jesus' book of life, that, that only those who believe in Jesus will find their names written in that book because they were invited and they received it. The truth of the matter is, when you hear about Jesus, you've been invited to believe in him. You've been invited to believe in him, and it's up to you to decide whether you will receive that. Will you accept the offer that he gives you, this promise of eternal life, and be a fully devoted follower for him? So there's two questions that I have to ask today, and each one's going to lead to a prayer. And the first one is this, you know, have you ever told Jesus you believe in him and want to receive the gift of eternal life? If you've never told him that, I'm going to invite you to today. And very simply, I'm just going to give you some suggested words to pray to him, to tell him that you believe in him and that you accept what he did for you as a sinner and you want to follow him all the days of your life. Uh, there's nothing special about the words. What's important about you telling him that you receive what he offers? So if you would, I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads. And if you've never prayed this prayer, and if you want to pray it today, then I invite you to right now. Very simply, I'm going to give it to you a phrase at a time. You can pray it silently. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And we all say amen. So if you pray that prayer, uh, listen, I want to encourage you in that decision. I want to help you grow as a follower of Jesus. So you know, send me an email. Let me know uh, so I can just send you some material to help you. But here's the deal. What about the rest of us? What about the rest of us who say we're followers of Jesus Christ? Uh, are, we, how, are we waiting and watching? Are we faithful and prepared? Are we fully devoted, sold out for him? You know, th there's no being a 50-50 Christian. There's no being what I call being a casual Christian. In other words, following Jesus when it's convenient for my life, 
following Jesus when it's convenient for what I want to do, but not following him when it doesn't fit into my plans. The reality is he calls us to follow him 24-7. And we can follow him wherever we are because here's the deal. You don't have to work up the strength and the power to be a follower of Jesus because when you came to faith in Jesus, not only were you given the promise of eternal life when he comes again, but you're also given the Holy Spirit who came and indwells in you. The Holy Spirit will work in you to give you the power to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So if you're not, I want to give you the time right now to spend some time in prayer confessing that you have failed Jesus and committing to being fully devoted and following him right now. So for everybody else that hasn't prayed this prayer, so everybody just close your eyes. And if you want to pray this prayer, I'm going to start us off and then I'm going to allow you to pray in silence what you need to about your confession and your need for forgiveness. So Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus. And we confess that we have not followed him like we should. So hear our confessions now. Jesus, we thank you that you know that we can't do this in our own strength. That's why you gave us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you give us forgiveness when we ask for it. We thank you that we have everything we need to be fully devoted followers of you. So forgive us and give us the boldness by your spirit to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.